Good afternoon, Tuscaloosa. Good afternoon, Tuscaloosa, Internet World, West Alabama, Northport, anywhere you're looking at the Joe Gaither Show right here on Bama Central and BamaCentral.com. I am, of course, Joe Gaither, and you have made it to game week. We are so excited. We are now five days away from Alabama kicking off against MTSU, and I'm so excited. We've made it through the long offseason. We had a little week zero football for you guys over the weekend, a little high school action in West Alabama, a little bit of Notre Dame, USC, a couple of big big teams in action, Vanderbilt beating Hawaii over the weekend as well. So football is here, and you have made it. And I appreciate everybody jumping in and joining us on the Joe Gaither Show on BamaCentral.com. You can watch us on YouTube, on Facebook, on Twitter, at Joe Gaither 6 or at Bama Central. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcast, and on Amazon, anywhere that you find your podcasts. And of course, we want to encourage you to listen to our other Bama Central Broadcasting Network podcast. We have All Things Bama with Katie Windham and Austin Hannon. And we have Blue Collar Unplugged with Blake Byler, Matthew Gibson, and Jacob Pickle, giving you everything Nate Oates and Bama basketball related. I'm very, very excited about our show today. I'm very excited about our week. I'm going to be joined by Eric Anders, outside linebacker from your University of Alabama, played outside linebacker from 2006 to 2009, now making his name in the UFC big time. He is a bad man. He's probably the baddest man I've had on the show so far. I'm very, very excited about that. Uh, But, you know, you don't want to hear my intro. I uh, cut a short little thing, and we're going to let the man, the myth, the legend, Bruce Buffer, introduce Eric Anders, and we'll bring out of the red corner of Nick Buckle Artist holding a professional record. 11 wins, 3 losses. He stands 6 feet 1 inch tall, weighing in at 205 pounds. Fighting out of Birmingham, Alabama, Eric, your boy, Anders. Eric Anders, thank you so much for giving me some of your time today. I can't do it like Bruce Buffer, so I figured I'd just go ahead and let him do, do, do the honors. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us. I know I appreciate your time. How's your uh, how's your Monday going? Yeah, it's going well. You know, Bruce is the man. You know, a lot of people want to be him, so uh, often imitate, never duplicated kind of thing. You know, so you know, good on you for letting the man. Absolutely, I figure I figured he can introduce it way better than me, and, and, and the imitation would be just cheap imitation. Uh, can I start right with what's it feel like in the cage when he? Uh, I mean, that's a cheap question, easy question. When he is doing his introductions, the whole it's time and getting you going. How 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 how? What kind of experience is that like? Right, you know, he uh, he does a really good job of setting the tone. He's got a really good energy. You know, obviously. Like, you know, the voice you've heard a million times, you know, he's introduced everybody, you know, from McGregor to, you know, a dude who's fighting for the first time, you know, so, um, you know, he's, he's the man. Absolutely. Well, Eric, I'm really excited to have you on, and I'm really excited for Alabama football to be back. We're uh, kicking off in five days in Bryant-Denny Stadium at 6.30 p.m. on Saturday, and you have the honor of being one of the honorary captains for this weekend's game. Yourself and Darren Mustin are going to be uh, uh, probably at the coin toss and uh, watching all that stuff happen. Uh, just first off, follow Eric Anders at Eric Anders on Instagram and on Twitter. Give him a lot of your love and support, obviously, uh, by all his, uh, the next fights and stuff. Can I ask How's the foot injury going? You recently fought at UFC 289, and a little bit of a news came out that you were fighting with a broken foot, a torn tendon, a little Liz Frank injury. How is the recovery coming along with all that? Uh, it's, it's going well. You know, I'm in a cast right now. It'll be out on Friday just in time to walk out there on the field. To I'll be in a boot, but it's way better than a uh, scooter or crutches. So, you know, I'm happy about that. 
Absolutely. Well, I'm really excited to see you back in the cage. Uh, what's the next time? When, when was the last time you were in Brian Dean Stadium? I think I've heard, heard a couple of interviews uh, since your playing days where you said, oh, you know, I've been really focused on fighting. I haven't really been back in Alabama or, or focused on the football team. When was the last time you were in, in Brian Dean Stadium? Um, and I try to catch a game a year. Um, okay. So I can't remember what game I went to last year. So but, you know, it's probably sometime last year or the year before, maybe. Absolutely. Well, you're from uh, you, you were born in the Philippines with, with, with uh, your, your parents in, in the military. Then you moved to Texas as a soft as a sophomore. You originally came to Alabama in 2006. And correct me if any of those that information is wrong. Yeah, uh, you're spot on. What's that? You're spot on. OK, OK. Just checking. I want to make sure we're giving accurate information to all our listeners and viewers. You're recruited by Mike Shula. And then obviously the, the, the coaching change happened in 2007. So. We've heard now in the last couple of years that Nick Saban wants to reestablish the Bama standard, reestablish the Bama factor. Can you talk about the the time that Coach Saban came in to the program? Obviously, the coaching change happened. What was the message or what was the method that Coach Saban used to establish that Bama factor that our guys are trying to reestablish in the in this year? Um, I think when he came in, he created an atmosphere of competition. You know, whenever uh, whenever he came, it didn't matter if you were a senior, a fifth-year senior, or a true freshman. You're competing for your spot every week, you know. So I think when Shu was here, it was just kind of like known that if you were a senior, you were going to play or start or whatever. And so Saban does a really good job of not only putting the best players on the field, but the best 11 on the field at a time with the best chemistry. So, you know, if, you're, if you think your job's on the line or you have somebody behind you, uh, you know, trying to take your spot, you know, you're going to try and perform every day in practice and that, you know, that level of competition that they have at practice every day um, makes everybody better because you want to start. And then also now it's like, you know, he had the, he's got like number one recruit D lineman practicing offensive lineman. So you have the two of the best players in the country, you know, maybe came out of high school or whatever are now practicing against each other uh, every day in practice. So how could you not get better? Well, Eric, and another similarity from your time in, in Tuscaloosa and your time with the football team is Kevin Steele. Kevin Steele was with Alabama in 07 and 08, uh, defensive, defensive coordinator and linebackers coach, and now he's returned to be the defensive coordinator. What can you tell the people who are really excited about this Alabama defense uh, about Kevin Steele, and do you have maybe any off-the-wall Kevin Steele stories from, from the early days of the Alabama, of the Alabama dynasty? Uh, dude, Kevin Steele's the man. You know, he's uh, one of my favorite coaches. Him and Celso and Surrey are probably my two of my favorite coaches um, I've ever had. Uh, just And Kevin Steele, you know, he brings this, like, a different level of intensity to practice. You know, he'll have you ready to run through a brick wall, you know, and, you know, he doesn't accept anything but the best and perfection. So um, you can expect that Alabama defense to be, you know, one of the top defenses in the nation, one of the most aggressive defenses in the nation, uh, and have plenty of turnovers coming this year. I think we're all really excited to, to, to see the defense maybe take a step forward from the last couple of seasons. Really, Kevin Steele, the one thing that we've heard a lot about in, in fall camp is uh, he's coaching the fundamentals hard and he's coaching, you know, coaching us out of mistakes and coaching us to have, uh, you know, good mental preparation. How challenging was it for you to go from high school to uh, Mike Shula to really the Nick Saban era in uh, the, the, the difference in prepar- preparing for games and the, the challenge of, oh, you know, I don't. I got to go through Monday, Sunday through Monday, Sunday through Friday, rather than just showing up on Saturday. 
Oh, man. You know, um, from high, and when I went to high school, it was just kind of like, Eric, go get the ball kind of thing. You know, there wasn't really – like we had assignments and stuff, but at the end of the day, you know, go get the ball. And, you know, usually I was like the better athlete. It didn't matter if I was right or wrong. I could get to where I needed to be. But when I got to college, even with Shula, everybody's a great athlete. Everybody's an All-State this and All-American that. So, you know, you have to, like, rely, like, less on athletic ability and actually know how to play. Got there, you know. You know, they call his playbook Sabanese. You know, just because it's, like, so complex. There's a lot of words. There's a lot of uh, stuff in there. You know, each play is like three or four calls in one. If they do this, we'll go to that. If they do this, if this guy goes there, we'll do this. So uh, he, I really learned the X's and O's of football along with, like, the technique and, and how to play. So um, if you come through a Nick Saban defense, man, you, there's no doubt that you're, you're NFL ready and, you know, you understand the game of football rather than just go get the ball and get it on the ground kind of thing. Today is supposed to be Death Chart Monday over at the uh, Mount War Center. I just left there, and we heard from Nick Saban, and we heard from Deontay Lawson and Seth McLaughlin. We'll talk about that at a different point in the show. But Coach Saban did not put out a death chart today. He said, oh, it's a distraction to our players, and I want them all to feel like you know nobody's a backup-level player. Uh, what was what were your memories from you know receiving? We've gone through fall camp. We've been busting our tail, and here's the first depth chart. Do you think it is a distraction in the building? And maybe what are some of your memories from depth chart Monday? Um, I think everybody already knows what's up and where they're at. I think he does that more so because he doesn't want the media like talking about things like that and saying like maybe. You know, sometimes the media does, you know, they, they're like, uh, this guy's a starter, but that guy's better or he had a better this or did better at that. Um, so I think Nick Saban, you know, is really doing that to, to mess with you guys uh, more than anything. You know, I think that everybody in the locker room knows, Saban knows, the coaches know who's going to be the starter, who's going to, you know, this, that, and the third, you know. So you know, there's, no, there's no question everybody knows their role on the team and, and where they're at. When you were here with the Crimson Tide, you played a lot of, uh, I guess it's called Jack Linebacker, that outside down down linebacker. And obviously many people, if, if if you just woke up yesterday and you go, Eric Anders was in the national championship game in 2009 and had the strip sack on Gary Gilbert that really uh, sealed the deal. So what, what what do you see or what, what does it take to play that Jack Linebacker? Alabama's going to play Chris Braswell really in that, in that position this year. What really are some traits or characteristics that you would say is uh, vital to being successful as a Jack linebacker? Um, you know, it's, it, they really want you to rush the passer. They really try to do a good job of, you know, putting them behind the, the you know, having lo- large, you know, big down and distance, like third and long, third and, you know, six or more, I guess. And uh, so that they can really turn that Jack linebacker loose to, to rush the passer. Uh, but you have to do everything. You have to rush the passer, stop the run, and, you know, drop back into coverage. And, you know, when I was there, they did a lot because um, just because of, like, my body type and my attributes and stuff, they did a lot of, like, packages with me and, you know, all kinds of, you know, loop-de-loops and, you know, crazy things that to because they knew I could rush the passer. That was what I did. That was, like, the best thing I was good at. So I think another thing that Saban does really well is he finds – he adapts the playbook for the players. It's not just, like, these are our plays. This is what we do. Okay, this guy's good at that, so we need to give him opportunities to do whatever that is. So, 
um yeah it's just uh you have to like do a little bit of everything uh with the, that jack linebacker so um i'm sure that kid's gonna do awesome i'm sure he's probably you know six five 260 pounds at least yes, so yeah. you know i'm sure he'll have a big frame much bigger or larger than mine so yeah you know i'm sure he'll be able to get back there rush the passer and be able to stop the run as well you're obviously a, a member on the 2018 that uh, went 12-2, won the SEC West for the first time in ages, and then uh, ultimately fell to Florida and then Utah. What was the difference – what would you say was the difference between the 2018 and then the 2019 that went on to win, be undefeated and win it all and, and take care of business? What do you, would you say was the biggest difference between those two teams? Saban was already here and you've already got talent, but what would you say was the difference between those squads? Um, attitude. You know, I think – you know, we ran through everybody uh, in 2008, and then, you know, we lost to what I think a controversial face mask call, I think, that they called on Dante Hightower or something like that. They gave him a first down, and they ended up scoring. They put him on, like, the five, whatever. And uh, so I think it just kind of took the wind out of our sails, and we didn't take that uh, Utah game very seriously. Not taking anything away from Utah. They came out there, did their thing, and beat us. But – um, I don't think there was just a lack of focus uh, in that game. And it was embarrassing to lose like that. So I think that team that came back in 09, they just, well, we had that bad taste in our mouth. And, uh, man, I've never been a part of a team that played more as a team than that team. You know what I mean? Like everybody had each other's back. Everybody, um, even the locker room, uh, the atmosphere in the locker room was different. You know, everybody just kind of gelled, meshed, and, you know, we went undefeated that next year and, and won the whole thing. So I think that uh, I hate to be cliche and say everything happens for a reason, but I honestly think if we don't lose to Florida, um, you know, no, no telling what would have happened in the national championship. You know, I don't even remember who played that year, Florida and whoever. Oklahoma, I believe. And Oklahoma? Yeah. I, I, believe I, so. I, I couldn't tell you what would have happened in that game, but. You know, because we lost to Florida, because we lost to Utah that very next year, we went on to win it all. That's awesome. That's great. You, you, you talk about the chemistry and having each other's backs and the closeness. Is that something that the coaching staff can take part in, or does that really have to be player-led and player-driven? Uh, both. I think the coaches do a really good job, especially Saban, of, you know, putting the team in positions where they have to play as a team and not just – uh, like, like even in college football, you know, there's some teams that just have like one or two players and it's like throw the ball deep to this guy or give the ball to that guy. Um, he does a good job of spreading the ball around, making sure everybody is doing their job uh, and their assignments. And he also elects uh, uh, players to kind of be on like uh, they call it a leadership team, I think is what it's called. And, uh, you know, they kind of make decisions on like punishment for players or you know, and, and things like that. So, you know, it just kind of holds everybody accountable. And sometimes, like, I've been on some teams where it's like the players versus the coach, the coaching staff or whatever, and it never, it's never a successful team, you know. So this kind of um, puts everybody on the same page. And, yeah, it, it just uh, – it works really well what he does. My man Wendell Harris watching us on Facebook. I'm going to bring his question right here. Was there anything that you carried over from Alabama football into the cage, into UFC, when it comes to mental and physical preparedness? Um, yeah, Nick Saban did a really good job of articulating the process and what that entails. You know, doing everything, giving, putting yourself in the best. Nothing's guaranteed. You know, uh, no, wins aren't promised. You know, 
you can't just show up and win. So he did a really good job articulating the process and, uh, you know, dotting the I's and, and crossing the T's, you know, um, and putting yourself in the best possible position to win. Um, obviously, I haven't won every fight, but I've done everything I can to get prepared for a fight. And then whatever happens in there, it's whatever, you know, uh, if I win, you know, I, of course I expect to win, but, you know, loss, you know, it still hurts, you know, it's still, uh, you know, I don't like losing, but at the same time, like I can sleep easy at night knowing that I did everything I was supposed to do to get ready for the fight and the fight just happened the way it's going to happen. So we're talking to Eric Anders, UFC middleweight slash light heavyweight. You're still kind of in the middleweight zone, right? You, you once you transition back to middleweight, is that, am I, uh, okay, perfect. And you can make sure you guys follow him at Eric Anders on the Instagram machine. And you can see him this Saturday as honorary captain at Brian Denny stadium, right there, six 30, uh, six 30 on Saturday against MTSU. I want to ask you about after Alabama, after Alabama, you spent just a little bit of time with the Cleveland Browns and a little bit of time in the, in the Canadian Football League. Uh, today, or really tomorrow, is NFL Cut Day. You're getting the, the, these three or four days uh, to cutting down the roster. What was that moment like for you with the Browns or and really with the uh, with the Canadian team where you're like, oh, my gosh, my football career is kind of in flux? What was that moment like for Eric Anders? Well, I mean, I, I already knew that, like um... – and I got picked up in free agency, so I already knew I wasn't like I, I knew I really had to work to earn my spot. And uh, so, I mean, of course, nobody wants to get cut, and you know, it's like, you know, but but you know, I already knew anyways. Like football ain't gonna last forever, anyways. But at the same time, it's like, dang, I just lost my job, you know, sort of speak. What am I gonna do next? And I went to Canada, and the exact same thing happened. And then I went to. Uh, um, so when I went after Canada, I was like, oh, well, whatever. I've already been through this once, you know. <laughs> and then uh, I played a year of arena football and then came back. And then, you know, it wasn't shortly after that that, um, you know, I, I started working and training to to fight. And, uh, you know, maybe like four years, two years after that, something like that, I started fighting professionally. And, uh, yeah, I think two years after I turned pro, um I made it to the UFC and I've been here for about six years now. So, um, yeah, it's been good. I think you, like, you know, like I said before, you have to go through some things to, to lead you in another way, you know? So, um, yeah, it's like getting cut or whatever. And I really didn't understand why. And I like, I wanted to play football. I was like bitter, upset, but then I found fighting and I, you know, to be honest, I enjoy this more than I ever did football. So, you know, um, I think, if I kept playing football, obviously, like I'd have never found fighting, and I, you know, have a lot more, you know, probably make a lot more money doing that than I do fighting. But I'm, I'm very happy and more happier uh, fighting, and with 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 my schedule and stuff, and you know, the actual sport and competition, training and practice and things, than I ever was football. Man, it's you know, 500 degrees outside. It's miserable. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I do an inside sport now. You know, I get to practice in the air conditioning, so it's it's all good. You can't you can't put a price on internal fulfillment. Uh, so that, that's that, that's really yeah. strong. I read that once you were out of football, and again, correct me if I'm wrong, but I read that you were working maintenance in in, in apartments around around Tuscaloosa for a little bit of time. Uh, dude, I, I did a lot of stuff. Um, I, I really thought that like, and this this was probably like the biggest uh, eye opening experience outside of getting cut and all that other stuff. I thought. Because just a year before, we had won a national championship. So I came back to Tuscaloosa um, thinking that I would be able to get a job somewhere 
um, several people, uh, you know, wanted, wanted to like go to lunch or whatever and under the premise of a job interview and then we'd eat lunch and they'd be talking about nothing but Nick Saban and Mark Ingram. And uh, at the end of the thing, I'm like, yo, so what's up with that job? And he's like, oh, we don't have any openings. So that was one of, that was like the, one of the biggest frustrations is that, you know, people would, hey, come interview for this job. And I don't have no job experience. Like, you know, I, like I wasn't thinking, I thought I was getting like special treatment because I played at Alabama. It's like, we're going to go to lunch instead of me coming to the office for the, for the job interview, you know? Um, and then they just switch it up on me at the end. And uh, long story short, man, I found myself, I did a lot of things like I cleaned apartments. You know, when you move out an apartment, people had to like uh, somebody comes in there, paints it, cleans it to get ready for the next person. I was doing that. I was working for a company there in Tuscaloosa. I can't remember the name, but they cleaned uh, factories like like pulp mills, paper mills, you know, oh. things like that would shut down. And then we go in there and clean it, which is it doesn't sound like much, but it's dangerous because they would use water lances, which is like a. A, um, a uh, what do you call that thing? A pressure washer. A pressure washer on steroids. Like people were out there losing fingers and toes, you know, off of this stuff. Uh, I worked for Coca Cola for a little bit. Um, worked in the restaurant arsenal up in Huntsville, and that's, you know, I thought that that was where I'd be forever. And then that ended, and I just came to Birmingham and, and sold out to, uh, to, to fighting. And, you know, like I said, I'm not, I don't like, at the time I didn't understand, I was very resentful towards the University of Alabama. But at the end of the day, if I'd have got me that cush job or whatever, then I would have never found fighting. I never would have fought. And so, yeah, I, I, you know, I needed to go through that. Well, your fights really from an amateur fight fan. I've been, I guess, watching UFC since I was probably 10, 13 or 14 or so. So, mm. Right, right around, right around the early days of the USC, you, you fight just beautifully, really all out, throw it, throwing everything you got at, at people. And so, for anyone who maybe is not into the UFC or into MMA, I really encourage everybody to check out Eric Anders when, when he gets back into the cage. Uh, you're going to be recovering from your foot injury, and then probably uh, sometime next year, take on somebody, take on some unlucky soul somewhere, somewhere down the line. I uh, just want to encourage everybody to make sure that they're supporting Eric Anders. Uh, all, you know, in the cage as well. Uh, it, it, so one, one thing I want to ask you uh, is about about that moment, about your search, kind of uh, about your search, search, and then you end up fighting over here on Skyland Boulevard. Uh, and I, and really, uh, I, re I read that you're, what, 22, 20-something amateur fights. Were you a little ever discouraged to say, okay, I've been fighting amateur fights. I've been beating guys. I've been taking care of business. Is anybody going to pick me up? Is anybody going to get me on their radar, uh, get me into, I guess it was Bellator that was maybe first. Uh, I had a, a – it was – yeah, Bellator was, was first. Uh, what was your thought process like going through and taking all those amateur fights? Um, well, for me, like I had no experience uh, fighting. I got like JV wrestling experience. And uh, I just, like there have been a couple guys that I had trained with that fought in the UFC and just like the, the level of skill compared to mine was, it wasn't even comparable. You know what I mean? So uh, I, I wasn't like blind and, you know, was like, yeah, I'm the best fighter out here. I, I knew I wasn't very good. I just wanted experience. And then, like, towards the end, I was fight. I was fighting at, like, heavyweight in 205. And then, uh, you know, I decided to go to middleweight because I saw John Jones and Daniel Cormier fight. And I was like, there's no way. I don't stand a chance. So <laughs> then I had to, like, learn how to, like, cut weight and, and, and fight and operate at that weight. 
Uh, and then, you know, I, like it wasn't long after I turned pro, like I, I was fighting, you know, pretty frequently. And I think the first year I was a pro, I fought five times in a year. Yeah. And then three <laughs> times the next. And then I, you know, fought a bunch. Uh, and I got to the UFC at like eight and oh. And I also knew because of the whole Alabama background thing, like there was already like a built-in fan base and stuff. And I knew that the UFC would be able to use that and market that or whatever. So that's what they want. You know, they want to be able to market you outside of fighting to like kind of pull that fan base into them. And that's how they've grown as a, as a company is they get guys from previous, from other backgrounds, other sports or whatever, and they bring them in and, um, you know, that, that the people that brings that fan base with them. So that makes the UFC grow. And they know that they're, they know how to market the company and, and, and things like that. So I knew that it would happen fast. Like eight fights, that's not a lot of fights. Uh, eight professional fights, uh, it's not a lot of fights to get in the UFC. But I just figured and had a hunch that it would be like that. And I fought for Bellator, I think, after like my fifth fight. And, uh, you know, they, they didn't even know who I was. Like they fought in Memphis and, I went to Scott Coker afterwards and I was like, hey, who's the president of Bellator? And I was like, hey, thanks for the opportunity. Just want to introduce myself, you know, be personable. And he was like, um, who are you? I was like, dude, oh. I, I just knocked out a dude in 23 seconds. What are you talking about? But it, but it's like, again, it's whatever. You know, I'd rather fight for the UFC for the Bellator. Like, you know, obviously the UFC is more popular, probably make more money. And uh, so it's all good. Absolutely. I want to ask you about you fought twice in, in, down in Brazil, which is like hotbed for fighting. And not only mm -hmm. twice, but you fought the Auto Machida, which is basically which is one of the greats really in the UFC. What was it like going to enemy territory twice and fighting two 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 Brazilian fighters? They've got the the, the fans behind them. And then not only that, I guess specifically to the Leoto Machida fight. Uh, what is it like? What was your experience or thought process like taking on a UFC legend? Um, it's very comparable to, uh, playing at LSU. Okay. You know, Brazil is probably the most hostile territory. You know, they're very, very, uh, passionate about their fighters and whatnot. But the thing I like the most about them is, you know, while you're fighting before the fight and as you walk to the cage, you know, they're booing you, you know, Vimo hair means you're going to die. You know <laughs> what I mean? But then afterwards, especially my fighting style and like you put on a show, they love and respect you. Like on my Instagram, I have more followers from the city of Sao Paulo than any other city um, in the world. So um, they're just very passionate about their fighters. And, you know, that's how it should be. I wish, like when I fought, you know, Brazilians here, or when I fight, you know, whoever, a foreigner here, I wish they would boo them, uh, you know, and treat them like trash. And then after <laughs> the fight, of course, you know, respect the guy or whatever, but um that's one thing i do wish about fighting is the americans were more passionate about american fighters rather than uh this guy's whoever uh you know we're gonna cheer for him you know it's not like that in brazil i don't care who you are they ain't that no brazilian is going to cheer for a non-brazilian until after the fight what's your experience like you talk about marketability out, out outside of the cage and you obviously ha have several lanes you are, were uh on the netflix netflix show cobra kai and you're obviously very popular on social media what's your thought process like when it comes to maybe the loudmouths that are on the microphones you know who they are but they're, they're, they're able to sell a fight whether they want to you know take the low low avenue or maybe they want to talk about their mama or their parents or any kind of way what's your thought process about getting on the microphone and saying you know just talking a bunch of trash um, I think you have to be authentic. 
and genuine. If you're a trash talker, be a trash talker. But if you're forcing it, people are going to see through that and they're not going to respond to it. Like, uh, I use McGregor for an example just because everybody knows who he is. I think it comes very natural to him. I think he's funny, he's witty, and um, he said everything everything he said he did. You know what I mean? So he should do that and take that route. But other guys, you know, they try to force it, and they just, you know, try to become the heel, and it's cringe. And it's just, you know, it, um, people don't like it. But at the end of the day, whether they're tuning in to watch you lose or watch you win, it doesn't matter. They're watching. You know what I mean? So... I'm, I, I'm to me like me being true to myself, genuine and authentic, um, is more important than try to force, uh, like, uh, force an act. You know what I'm saying? I don't need another like alternate ego or, you know, stage personality or whatever. Being is good enough. Absolutely. Being you is good enough. You've got, what, four performances of the night of performance bonuses in your time in the UFC. So obviously when the cage door shuts, that's where you're making a lot of your money. I love that very much. Tell me about Cobra Kai, your experience with Netflix uh, and kind of your thought process towards acting and being in Hollywood. Um, it was an awesome experience. You know, I hope that I get more opportunities to do so. Um, but doing that show, it, it gave me a new respect for actors. I always got thought they were just kind of like prima donnas and entitled and things like that. But, man, I was in a minute and a half of one episode, and it was a 24-hour to 24 hours to shoot those scenes. Two oh, 12-hour days. So, yeah, you know, it's, it's exhausting. I must have shot that fight scene 100 times. And just when I got it right, they said, you're going to do it again, but we're going to move the cameras to the other side so that we can see the you know johnny lawrence uh and they get to split it up so i guess for me it was worse because you know the first you know 100 times i've actually fought william zapkas who is who plays johnny lawrence and then when they turned the cameras around i had to fight the stunt double you know and then you know for a week before like we we rehearsed the the fight scene and then on the day go shoot the scene like yeah we're not gonna do any of that we're gonna do this so it was cool. I got paid to to do the practice stuff. So really, at the end of the day, it really didn't matter to me. But I was just like, man, there's a lot of improv and uh, last minute switching things up. So it just gave me like a new respect for actors. Because like I said, I just kind of thought that they were, you know, had their nose up in the air. But William Zappa is a fabulous uh, individual. And the thing that I can appreciate the most about him is he is uh johnny lawrence you know his personality is i don't even think he has to act i think he just has to learn the lines because you know just talking to him like you know off camera or whatever yeah he's full of one-liners he's funny he's got quick witty <laughs> responses and he is johnny lawrence so they probably couldn't have picked a better person for that character years later were you a uh, big time into Karate Kid when it came out? I guess that was probably late 80s, early 90s. Yeah, yeah. My brother, he's five years older, so he'd watch those movies on repeat. So I've seen them all. And uh, yeah, and then so when it came back out, I was like, oh, that's cool. And then my kids were into it. So I kind of like skipped. Uh, I don't know if it's, I don't think it's a whole generation, but um, yeah, my brother used to watch it. So I watched it and then. You know, my kids were like loved Cobra Kai. So especially when I when I told them I'd be on it, like they didn't believe me or whatever. And then <laughs> when it came out and they saw me and all their friends at school saw it, you know, or when, actually my kids knew because when I left to go film it, it was I filmed it in Atlanta. 
then they realized it was real. Then they, they, you know, they just got all excited and stuff. You began training really professionally in, in, in Birmingham is what I have. And then you moved out to Arizona and then through our text today, you're, you're back in Alabama at the moment. Are you still, when you recover, are you going to be planning to train uh, in Birmingham or back in Arizona or somewhere else? Yeah, I was just going out there to train for fights. Um, sure. I've always lived here in Birmingham, but, you know, I'd leave for like eight weeks. Um, I think, you know, my kids are getting older and like being gone for two months. It's just, uh, yeah, I, I don't like it so much. So uh, I don't think that I'll be gone for two months at a time or whatever. I think I'll start doing my camps and training here again. And, uh, you know, I'll find a way to make it work that way. How does a fight camp? How does a fight camp translate or compare to maybe fall football camp? Um, it's pretty similar. Like I, you know, two a days isn't the work because sometimes I practice three or four times a day. But um, the only difference is, is like during fall camp, you're preparing for a season. Right. I'm preparing for just one one fight, one individual. I'm preparing for 15 minutes over the course of eight to 12 weeks. How have you learned? Uh, you, we've talked about this before on a previous show, but for our other listeners, how have you? Uh, how have you learned to manage the weight? Uh, I think maybe early in your career that was a little bit of a challenge, but you, you seem like you've kind of mastered the weight cut and really gotten comfortable at middleweight. What's been the kind of your secrets to mastering your weight? Um, you know, I used to like blow up to like two hundred and forty pounds uh, in between fights. Now I try to keep it two twenty and under, like really right, right around two fifteen. Because then when I start training, um, of course, like I can't train uh, like I'm training for a fight year round. So when I start training for a fight, the intensity goes up. I train more. So I can't, I uh, will just, you know, lose weight doing that just by the training by itself. But eating clean and uh, like, I mean, I, I splurge a little bit. I'll have a beer here, a beer there, a pizza there, you know, burger there. But, you know, before when I was fighting, that was my diet. You know, it was, you know, fast food and, you know, that kind of junk. But, you know, I kind of stay away from it, cook my own food and, you know, uh, you know, I feel way better. What's the uh, Chef Eric Anders special? <laughs> uh, spaghetti. It's probably not the best tasting thing. I probably wouldn't feed it to anybody else. But um, actually, I take that back. Uh, I've, I've been working on the grill a lot lately. You know, I've grown my own vegetables in the in my garden. Oh, nice. And, uh yeah, you know, I, I do some really good chicken and steak on the grill. That's awesome. I'm sure the uh, I'm sure the kids and, and the wife lo love that when you when you break that out. Yeah, yeah, the the kids love it. Absolutely. Oh. Uh Really, just a couple more for me, and I really appreciate your time so far. We're, we've been talking to Eric Anders, UFC middleweight, former Alabama linebacker, and this weekend's honorary captain for the MTSU game. Before your, before the uh, UFC 289, you were talking five fights left, and now we've all, we've had one of them. Are you still on the four fights left uh, mindset? And then, and what, and with that, a broader question: What are your kind of uh, goals with the end in mind? Yeah, yeah, I, I only want to fight four more times. Um... Even then, four more times, that could be like two more years. So I'll be 38. You know, that's ancient for an athlete. Um, that, you know, I've, I've already started other things like managing fighters, commentating fighting. Um, I plan to open up a gym um, sometime within those two years and uh, really get my life after fighting. I'd, I'd love to pursue acting, get more gigs doing that. So, but we'll, we'll see what, what, uh, what comes. And uh, yeah, I, I think that I want to stay involved in, in MMA because it truly brings me peace and happiness. And, 
you know, training is therapy. So if I could, you know, be a gym owner, train all day, you know, I'm basically like, you know, doing therapy all day. So uh, it'll be good for my mental. Absolutely. And it's a skill that you can continue to pass down to everyone and anyone who's yeah, really wants to get into it. So I, I, love, I love that answer. Uh, just got to get back to football here. Have you paid any attention? Have you, have you paid attention to what this team's uh, going to look like this season? And really, uh, how excited are you to, to really be in Bryant-Denny Stadium serving as the honorary captain this weekend? Yeah, it'll be dope. It'll be cool. And, you know, with uh, Kevin Steele back on defense, you know, I think I'm a defensive guy. Offense is cool and all, but you know, I love when defenses come up with stops, three and outs, um, and things like that. So I think we'll see a lot of turnovers. We'll see a lot of three and outs. We'll see a lot of big plays out of the defense, which makes football for me exciting. One thing I noticed on your Instagram was uh, a link to the, to an OnlyFans. Are you keeping that active? And is that mostly just uh, exercising, or are they seeing other sides of your life in, in, on there? And how can they support you there? Man, you're going to have to like and subscribe and find out, man. There you go. <laughs> well, we'll do that you can find that link on eric anders instagram you can find him at eric anders on instagram and on twitter the last thing for us i got a sneak a, a source that says you know portuguese can you tell us a little roll tide in portuguese before we get out of here um i don't know if there is like a translation for for roll tide in, okay. in portuguese but i do speak portuguese like probably like a child would speak maybe like a seven-year-old but you know, I've traveled to Brazil by myself, got around, ordered food, you know, Ubers, taxis, uh, things like that. So, yeah, you know, they say uh, I'm a quasi-Brasileiro. It's like almost Brazilian. I so, like that. I, I love Brazilian, that. So, you know, they yeah. like me. Absolutely. Well, we love you, too, right here in Alabama, and I really appreciate your time, Eric. I hope you have a great week. I know uh, you're going to jump on with Roger Hoover in just a little bit. I just ran into him at the uh, Mount Morrison or tell Roger oh, yeah. in just a little bit. Uh, and really, anything that you'd like to uh, promote or, or or tell the Alabama fans viewing and, and listening to us today? Uh, yeah, man, just get out there. Uh, follow me, support me, at Eric Anders, like you said, and see you guys Saturday. Absolutely. Eric, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it, man. I cannot wait to see you back in the cage and I'll uh, be waving one of the one of the hundred thousand waving down at you on Saturday. Man, appreciate it. You have a good one. Yes, sir. Thank you so much. Thank you. That's Eric Anders, former outside linebacker here on the program. And wow, I'm very, very grateful for his time. Uh, he's going to have a busy week selling the uh, selling his appearance right here in Tuscaloosa. You guys can see him at the Bryant Museum on Friday. Uh, he's going to be so, he's going to be signing autographs right there. Make sure you pay attention to his, to, to his uh, career. And if you uh, if you can't pay attention to his career, I will be paying attention for you the next time that he announces a fight. I'll be talking about it right here. I love watching him fight. He goes all out. He goes all out. He's throwing uh, bombs. He's throwing haymakers and elbows. He's got pretty good wrestling. He's an aggressive fighter. He's won four performance bonuses in the UFC already. So whether he wins or loses, you know you're going to see a great fight. And uh, much like Tuscaloosa supports Deontay Wilder, I'd love to see Tuscaloosa, West Alabama, the university, you really get behind Eric Anders. If he's only got four fights left in the UFC, really we need to do our best to, uh, to give him as much support over those four fights so we can send him out a winner in each of those fights. He's recovering right now from a uh, Liz Frank torn foot, torn uh, a broken foot injury. He fought UFC 280, uh, 289 with that broken foot. What a bad dude. So honestly, really appreciate his time. Really appreciate every, everything that uh, he was able to give us on the program today. 
Look, that's going to do it for our show today. I'm going to be interviewing Sam Doughton. Sam Doughton is an MTSU staff writer tomorrow. He's going to be joining us tomorrow on the program. He's going to tell us all about the Blue Raiders. He's going to tell, tell us all about that win against Miami last year and how they're planning on coming to Tuscaloosa to do it again. Eh, fat chance. But I can't wait to hear from Sam Dalton tomorrow. He's going to be joining us for the program to break down the Blue Raiders and break down everything that MTSU is trying to throw at Alabama on Saturday. On Wednesday, you'll hear from Darren Mustin, the other uh, honorary captain. Darren Mustin, I'm actually going to have that conversation later on this evening, and we're going to run it on Wednesday. So that could, that'll be the Wednesday program. You'll have both honorary captains in the same week. Very, very thank you, Lord, for, for helping me set that up. Really appreciate that. Absolutely. And then on Thursday, Thursday, we're going to run the conversation that I had with Jay McPhillips. I talked to Jay McPhillips from Yay, Alabama for a little over an hour on Friday afternoon. Jay was great correcting me on a, a lot of things that I may have missed and a lot of things that I may have had wrong. So I really can't wait for you to hear that conversation on Thursday. That's going to be kind of the lineup for the rest of the week. Friday, we'll kind of do a football Friday. We'll set up the high school area games and we'll talk all about the SEC matchups week number one, Alabama MTSU. We'll talk about, you know, what's going to, who's going to be a quarterback, this, that, and the other. Coach Saban was funny today. Coach Saban was funny, not putting out a depth chart, kind of saying it's a distraction and kind of poking at the media a good bit there, uh, talking about the depth chart. So we'll talk about that on Friday, but I cannot wait for the rest of the week. We'll hear from Sam Dalton, uh, MTSU staff writer tomorrow on Tuesday. We'll hear from Darren Mustin on Wednesday, former Alabama linebacker, and we will hear from Jay McPhillips, executive director of Yay Alabama on Thursday. Want to encourage you guys to check out all our other Bama Central Broadcasting Network podcasts. You've got our, our friends All Things Bama with Katie Wendham and Austin Hannon, and you've got our friends Blue Collar Unplugged with Blake Byler, Matthew Gibson, and Jacob Pickle. So the three of us together make up the Bama Central Broadcasting Network. You can hear it anywhere on BamaCentral.com. You can watch our shows on YouTube, on Facebook, on Twitter. You can listen to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Amazon. Find me on any of the social medias at Joe Gaither 6 uh, go, go, go tweet him. Let him know that you're thankful to have him on the show and give him a big old roll tide. We're looking forward to seeing him on Saturday. Send me any of your comments, questions, queries, and complaints right there at Joe Gaither 6 for any of your social medias. And as always, I love you guys the most. We'll be back for another edition of the Joe Gaither Show right here on Bama Central and Bama Central. Central.com.